Since uh, April the 22nd, we've been sharing with you on some very important things when it comes to reaching out beyond the four walls of the church and touching the community and touching people's lives. And uh, we started off with uh, acting cozy with the riffraff, and that was Jesus when, of course, he called Levi the uh, tax collector, which was despised and hated by almost everyone. And yet Jesus uh, was with he and others of the same profession. And, uh, and then we looked at Philip and the Ethiopian, uh, how he ministered to him and we learn how important it is to be sensitive to God's divine, certainly, appointments and to be obedient to the Lord. Not only Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, but Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. And how that Priscilla and Aquila ministered to uh, Apollos and, uh, on, on a personal level and some great things happened there. And then we looked at Peter and Cornelius not only he, but his family and his home, and how important it is for us to be willing, like the Apostle Paul, as we looked at uh, Paul in Rome, he had church in his house, and then last week, Jesus and Nicodemus. So these are times when we find that uh, God goes outside of the rank and file of a, of a gathering in a church. I brought a statistic to it with us uh, last Wednesday evening and talked about uh, the mega church. By the way, if you need an outline of the sermon, please raise your hand. Brother Steve will make sure you get one. I want everyone to have one. Uh, today's sermon is Jesus, Peter, James, and John. It's a great, great uh, study today. But this statistic, st- statistic talked about the mega church, and it's something that we all see on television, and it's exposed to a lot of people, whether it's a church of 40,000 or 20,000. Uh, a mega church is uh, is considered a church is considered a mega church when there's two thousand or more people that attend that church, and I I was surprised at the number that it was. I think there's about seventeen hundred. I thought there would be more. Uh, there there are about seventeen hundred mega churches in the United States, somewhere around that figure, and. You, you look at all that's happening, and thank God for those churches. You look at all that's happening, and you think why the bulk of the people go to these churches. But then I looked at this statistic. Did you know that less than half of 1% of people attended the church in the United States? Less than half of 1% attend mega churches. That's interesting. So very few people considered attend the mega church. Mega church. And uh, there are about 70 or, or, or between 70 and 75% of the churches in America have 100 or less attending. 70 to 75%. So needless to say, uh, if people are going to be saved, brought into the kingdom of God, and experience eternal life, then it's going to be by you and I getting outside of the church and reaching those people, whether they're in the homes, the hospitals, uh, shut-ins, wherever they might be. 
it's, it's, it's our responsibility to do, to do that. Not just the pastor or the deacons or the elders in the church, but all of us collectively reaching the unsaved. And uh, I believe that God is calling us to that, and that's why that since uh, well, all year really and truly starting the book of Mark, and that God is challenging this church to go outside of the church to reach the unsaved and take the gospel to the highways and the hedges, what the Bible speaks of. This, this building has been built, this sanctuary has been built since not, it was built in 97. So that's the year that the church was built. And some mysterious thing is happening here at the church, and we don't know what's cause it. We had the air-conditioned men out twice. In fact, last week and this week, they were working on the air conditions. And what's happening is that there's such an airflow. Uh, that door back there is standing open now because of the airflow. There's just, just, and if you walk by that door, it's, the, the, the air is just flowing and... and uh, Sister Carol had to get an umbrella this week and scotch the door coming into the foyer so it wouldn't make this whistling noise. It's amazing. It's a mystery. We don't know why. We're going to try to find out next week what's causing this, this airflow. But uh, it was mentioned this morning in the Sunday school class, and uh, the Lord spoke to Brother Tim Johnson and uh, I've looked at this, and I like the way he handled this. God's still speaking today. Can you say amen? God is still revealing the truth and what he wants us as his people to know. And I'm going to read this in its entirety because I believe that Tim heard from God, and I want us to hear what thus saith the Lord. I would say to you, to Bethel Christian Center, that what you are beginning to feel and experience is the wind of the Holy Spirit. He is wanting to get out of these four walls and into the communities and lives of the people. I am opening doors that no one can shut. That's interesting. You shut one door and the other door comes open. It's true. He says, I am opening doors that no one can shut I would say to the people of Bethel Christian Center, follow the wind of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. As I lead you in new areas of ministry, do not fear to step out in faith and follow me. In this way, you have never been before. And that's what the Lord is speaking to the church, that you and I will accept the challenge and say, we may be a little uneasy doing this, or this may not be familiar to me, but I'm going to be obedient to the Lord and step out in faith in the ending, for I am the Lord God that leads you. And so this is just a, an indication of the flow of the moving of the Holy Spirit that God is, is moving in this church. If you were here last night, you saw how the hand of God moved in worship. There was a well-attended worship time last evening. And it was so great to see children around this altar worshiping God 
It was so great to see adults around this altar worshiping God, some laying before the Lord flat on the floor, and worship was just so wonderful. And uh, I want to challenge you to allow the Lord to speak to you and uh, for us to be obedient when it comes to stepping outside of the church and obedience. Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And then we have in verse 2, Jesus is is transfigured on the mount. Now, after six days, Jesus took who? Peter, James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Who appeared? Elijah and Moses. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here And let us make three tabernacles, or three tents, as one translation says, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Father, Add to the reading of your word, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and as we plant seed today, may it bring forth good fruit. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Read on your notes with me, if you don't mind, the introduction. All of the apostles were chosen by the Lord for a reason. All of them shared in the ministry and apostleship. Despite this equality, the gospel accounts reveal that on three different occasions, Jesus chose three of his apostles and allowed them to see things that were not permitted to tell the others. These three are regularly, talking about Peter, James, and John, these three are regularly singled out to attend him at his most sacred moments, both as helpers and as witnesses of the occasion. Why did Jesus choose these three out of the 12? I've studied it and studied and studied it. You say, Pastor, why? I don't know. I don't know that anyone knows, but I will speculate like some did. Some speculated off of the map why he chose Peter, James, and John. I will look at why I think perhaps that Jesus chose these three. The why is not the important question. He did choose them. They were of the inner circle. They were those disciples that had a special relationship with him. Look at we at the occasions where 
he chose these three to attend when no one else could or no one else did. First of all, the raising of Jairus' daughter. Now, Jairus was a leader. The Bible says in several translations, he was a leader in the synagogue. He came to Jesus and he fell at his feet and he said, that my daughter is at home very ill, would you come and lay your hands upon my daughter? Jesus said, I'll come. On his way, there was a woman that was hemorrhaging. She had suffered for 12 years. One Bible, one translation says she had an issue of blood. And she went to doctor after doctor, physician after physician, She did not grow better, but she grew worse, and she had spent all of her money on doctors. That's easy to understand. But she did not grow better. But she thought to herself, to this man Jesus, if I can just get to him and I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And All of us, if not all of us, most of us know the story. How that she made her way through the crowd and reached out and touched the hem of the garment of Jesus. Understand, this is Jesus on his way to Jairus' house to pray for his daughter for she is about to die. And yet he stops Once he is touched by this woman and said, who touched me? The disciples said, are you kidding? Now, I'm ad-libbing a little bit. All these people around you and you want to know who is touching you. Jesus said, I sense virtue, power going out of my body. Someone touched me. And he looked around to see who it was that touched him. She came up to him, confessed to him what had happened. That in itself is a whole message. We won't stay there. But she was healed. While he was talking with this woman, someone came up to him and said, Listen, don't bother to go to Jairus' house because the daughter is dead. Jesus said, Don't be afraid, only believe. Trust. No matter. And I believe today we need to understand we can trust God no matter what happens, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what anyone says, our faith should be rock solid in the name of Jesus Christ. He goes to Jairus' house and they're mourning, they're weeping, they're crying, and he puts everyone out of the house except mom and dad, And the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. They got to witness a great resurrection from the dead. Because she was dead. And Jesus goes in, speaks life into her, and she is healed. The second time that Peter, James, and John were allowed to go was here at the mountain of transfiguration. He took them with him 
up a mountain. Someone says, what mountain was it? No one knows. It was a mountain. And the Bible says he went there to what? Pray. This is what he did. He went there to pray. He said, Peter, James, John. Now, Peter was one of the most outspoken of the disciples. James and John were brothers. And uh, this is the three inner circle that Jesus took took them to the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, let me tell you what happened. They get to the mountain and Jesus begins to pray. And all of a sudden, something transpired. There was a glow about him. His clothing became so white, he was transfigured before them. You know what Peter, James, and John was doing? It tells us in Luke, they went to sleep. Can you imagine? I can't imagine even Jesus inviting me special to go somewhere and I get there and go to sleep on him. The other time, of course, when he allowed those three to go farther than the other disciples was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Guess what they did there? They went to sleep. Now, don't you take notes and do that this morning. But while on the mountain, they went to sleep. When they woke, they saw the very glory of the Lord. But Jesus was not by himself. There was two men that were talking with him. There was Moses and there was Elijah. You know something, a little side note here, something that that really interests me was that Peter, James, and John knew Moses and Elijah. And they'd been dead for well over a thousand years. Somehow I got the feeling when we get home, when we put on that new body, when that great transformation physically Now, we can have the transformation spiritually in our lives today. But when that great transformation takes place, I believe we're going to know as we are known. We're going to know Elijah, Moses. There's just something about the great miracle of the transformation and the embodiment of being there in the heavenly host that we're just going to know. Will we know our loved ones when we get there? I think we will. I believe we're going to know those that's gone on before us. I think it will be in a different measure, and it will be different than how we know each other today. But I think we'll know. And here it was, Moses and Jesus, Elijah and these three talking together. You know what they were talking about? Luke tells us again. They were talking about what Jesus was about to face, about his, here's what one translation says, about his departure, about his crucifixion, about his resurrection. This is what they were talking about. Well, the Bible says that Peter, one translation says, didn't know what to say. So he just up and says, hey, it's good to be here. Well, I would think so. Can you imagine being with Jesus? Can you imagine standing there with with, with Moses, 
Can you imagine being there with Elijah? Oh! He said, why don't we build a tabernacle? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I'll never forget, Carol's dad, he, uh, he was very strict. And uh, I was dating Carol, and uh, we couldn't kiss. That was, you know. No, you, back, back then you couldn't kiss. You, 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 just, you just didn't do that. Not long, many years before that, if you kissed, you had to marry the girl or the boy. Really. It was, it, this was not then, but before then. But I got one once in a while. That is a kiss. And one day he walked up on me kissing Carol. Whoa. It scared me so bad. I weighed 110 pounds soaking wet. He weighed 200 pounds, big muscle man. And he looked at me and I, I just melted. I didn't know what to say. I was so scared. I didn't know what to say. So I looked at him. He had a sweater on. I said, that's a nice sweater. Who made it for you? Your mama? Wrong. His mom had been dead for years. That's where Peter was. He was he was so startled until he didn't know what to say. He just up and said, Hey. But all of a sudden, there was a cloud that came and it settled over all those that were on that mountain. And then there was a voice that said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. I'm here to tell you, it would be great if every church leader, every church member, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ would be sensitive to the voice of God and hear what thus saith the Lord. I'm so tired of people talking, aren't you? You turn on the television and all they do is talk. And a bunch of what they say is nothing but nonsense. And they say, let's get this expert. I like that, expert. That's what they are, experts. Let's get this expert to talk. It'd be good if we just once in a while hushed. Be quiet. And say, God, I want to hear from you. I'm tired of hearing from the flesh. I'm tired of hearing the devil on my, having the devil on my shoulder, speaking into my ear, putting all kind of doubts and unbelief there. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of people just talking. I want to hear from God. And God said, this is my son. Hear him. You want to have peace in your heart? Hear Jesus Christ. Stop reading all kind of magazines and listen to all kind of junk. 
Get exposed to the very glory of the Lord. You say, Brother Don, how am I going to do that? I'll tell you in just a moment. Look at it for just, look at your notes for just a moment. Why these three? Well, one of the things, three is a number of indicating in the Bible completeness. So he would take three with him. He would take three with him. These were those who would see the son of in his king of God in his kingdom, both as helpers and as witnesses. Did you know in the in the in the under the Jewish law, at the there had to be three, two or three witnesses to witnesses to confirm something. So he took three to confirm Jairus' daughter being raised, to confirm the Mount of Transfiguration, and confirm what he prayed in the garden when he said, Lord, not my will. But thine be done. Here, let me list what I think are some reasons why he chose these three. Prompt by the key roles that they would have in the church. First of all, James was the first to seal his testimony with his blood. He was the first martyr in the early church. Number two, Peter preached the first sermon. He later spoke of his experience in Second Peter 1. I love this ver- these verses, 2 Peter 1, 16 and 18. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is, he's talking about the, the Mount of Transfiguration, verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter goes on to say, and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And then we find John remained on earth the longest and delivered the final prophecy. Most of us know that John wrote four books, St. John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. Peter would take the lead in establishing the church. James would be the recognized leader of the church in Jerusalem. If you study the Acts of the Apostles, you find that he was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and John would receive the final revelation. He even revealed himself, Jesus did, to the apostle Paul on the way to Damascus. He revealed himself. You say, Pastor, can I be a a Peter, James, and John? Yes. We can see and experience the very glory of the Lord. On the Mount of Transfiguration, there were three, or these three were allowed to see the deity of Jesus in his radiant glory. In the garden, they were allowed to see the humanity. So they saw not only his deity on the mountain, but in the garden, they saw the humanity of Jesus Christ in his sorrow and in his agony. Well, Peter, James, and John, I love this. Look at it. We're not more important than the other apostles. We need to appreciate them for the roles that they played in establishing the church, spreading the gospel, strengthening their brethren, and confronting the era that certainly existed in their day. I don't know why. I think there are some of the reasons. I don't know why I chose those three. The important thing is that you and I are part 
of the inner circle, that you and I have that kind of relationship with God. The Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's what it's all about, is that you and I as believers, as children and sons and daughters of God, that you and I be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's important. Paul also wrote to the church at Rome, when, I mean, at Corinth, when he says this, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's my goal this morning, is to help us as a church, to help you and I as believers that we might be willing to be transformed and changed into the image and the glory of the Son of God. You say, Pastor, how am I going to do that? First of all, I believe that God can help us to experience His glory through prayer. I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about real prayer. It's okay to say the grace around the table. It's okay to say a short prayer, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. It's even good to pray together with people. There's nothing wrong with that, and I think it's edifying. But I'm talking about people that seek the face of God. One of the things that we enjoy on Wednesday night is not only the teaching that we have on Wednesday night, but a real wonderful time of prayer around this altar. Do you pray? Do you push back all the activities that crowd in on us and say, God, I am going to spend time in prayer. Another way that we can see the glory of God is when we worship like we did last night and we did this morning. But it doesn't have to be in church. It can be riding down the highway. Paul Pano told one time of riding down the highway and he was worshiping the Lord and he would drive with one hand with his eyes open. He would drive with one hand and worship God and he was crying and he stopped at this stop sign or stop light. And this lady was next to him and she saw him and he, she looked over at him and he was tears were running down his face and he was worshiping the Lord. He says, I'm praising God. I'm praising God. Doesn't matter where we are. And we can behold his glory not only through prayer, but also as we worship God. And then we, worship, then we can see his glory as we open the word of God. I'm not talking about reading it as another magazine or novel. I'm talking about open the Bible, looking at it, reading it, digesting it, meditating upon it. Let it be part of you. And something, something wonderful happens on the inside. And we looking at that word and it jumps out at us. We can see the very glory of God. God changes us. And I'll tell you, this old boy needs changing sometimes. My attitude gets a, a little bit out of whack. I need God to touch my life. And he uses his word. He uses worship. He uses prayer. But I'll tell you something else he uses. He uses people. My former pastor would always check up on me. And sometimes I didn't like it, but I'll tell you what, he did it for my good. And I was willing to listen and willing to change. Not only does he use people, 
but he uses circumstances. You ever gone through something, you say, I don't know why. Why did you allow this to happen to me? And you look back when you go through it and you say, God, I know why. Because you wanted me to draw closer to you and you wanted to show me your glory. Not only does he use people and circumstances, but he uses spiritual discipline. You ever had God to spank you? God can make you cry uncle real quick. Sometimes, listen, not every time that something happens, something bad happens to us, it's God trying to speak to us. I think sometimes the devil just tries to, to destroy us. I think sometimes the devil just th- tries to, to hinder and hurt us. But there are times that God does discipline us. And we learn. I hated the physical things I went through some years ago. But let me tell you something. It made me a better person. Let let circumstances, let those bad things happen. Let them make you a better person. It's not what necessarily happens to you. It's how you react to what happens to you. So God uses all of these ways that we might experience that mountaintop. That we might be able to behold his glory. I'm ending. Here we go. Look at number three. Follow me real quickly here, if you will. Here's some lessons that we'll learn. Jesus was glorified on the mountain, and he suffered in the garden, proving that he is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. Number two, all, all, capital A-L-L, all may witness his great works. Every one of us may have a mountaintop experience of his divine revelation. And that's what he's trying to do to us, with us is revealed to us his truth. Number three, God will bless us. I like this. God will bless us in proportion to our willingness and effort to grow and to learn. Listen to what Mark says. I never, I never realized this till I read this. Look at it. Mark chapter 13, verses three and four. And this is speaking of the signs of the times and the end, end of the age. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter James, John, and Andrew. There were times that he would allow Andrew in that inner circle. Of course, Andrew was Peter's brother. Andrew introduced Jesus Christ or Peter to Jesus Christ. So here it is. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. Tell us when all these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled i never realized that it was those four that brought forth this great teaching on the end time and this great revelation that jesus christ spoke of the time we're living in right now but god will reveal to us when we're open When we take time to ask him, do we take advantage of the opportunities the Lord presents to us? Maybe some of us are asleep on the mountain. Maybe some of us are asleep in the garden. Wake up. Let God speak. Your friendship, I love this one, speaks loudly both to God and to the world about the condition of your heart. May I ask you something? 
You don't have to answer it. Who are your circle of friends? Who is the circle? Who do, who, who do you fellowship with? Good question. Who is your circle of friends? Take a stand today if you have ungodly friends in your inner circle. Break them off. God will deliver you from the bonds of the enemy. The Bible says, God's word, do not be un, what? equally yoked what? together. That goes for marriage. That goes for friendship and fellowship. Oh, we have to work with unsaved people and unbelievers. But we don't have to take in their actions and their, and their ways and their deeds and join in with the world. Amen? Pray, Lord, open my eyes to all my friendships. And here's a good prayer. You ought to read it with me. Lord, open my eyes to all my friendships. This is for young people. How about at school? How about your classmates? I know we have to be with people. Don't get We live in the world. But the Bible says in John, we're not of the world. Help me, this is our prayer, to see them clearly, whether good or bad, pleasing or not pleasing to you. May all my friendships, this should be a big amen, bring glory to you. Jesus spent time with two kind of people. Jesus spent time with two kind of people. Those that he could minister to and those that would minister to him. He didn't give others the time of day hardly. Are you spending time with someone that you've tried? Listen, I believe in being patient. I believe in being persistent. I believe in having faith in God that he's going to change that friend or that loved one or that individual that you've been trying to sow seed into all the time. But are you spending time with someone that just you flat can't minister to? And what does the Bible call that? We're not to to do that. Don't cast your what? your pearls before the swine. Jesus spent time with two kinds of people, those he could minister to. How about people ministering to you? Are they always pulling at you? Are you spending time with people that want to control you? I don't know how to break it off. You better. It'll keep you pulled down. Jesus knew he could take Peter James and John. Were they better than anybody else? No, I don't think they were. I don't think they were better than, than Matthew or any of the rest. I think exactly what I said, that he saw the future with these three men and he knew what they would face and he chose them. But he did have an inner circle. What's your inner circle today? Look, look at, here's what I want us to know before we leave here. Number one, it's important that we behold Jesus in his glory. Number two, that we are part of that inner circle. And number three, that we are very careful of our association. Maybe today you haven't been part of that inner circle lately. You feel like an outsider? 
I don't think we have to feel God all the time. In fact, if I'd be more, if I'd be honest with you today, I'd probably feel Him less than I do feel Him. The Bible says, "Draw near to God," and what? He will draw near to you. My challenge to you today in prayer, in Bible reading, in meditation, in worship, draw near to God. Father, we love you this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for this mountaintop experience. Thank you, dear God, for what you're doing in people's lives. Lord, I look over this congregation and I see how that you're moving, you're blessing, you're touching. Thank you for that. We purpose in our hearts two things this morning. Number one, to draw near to you. God, if we felt like an outsider lately, we want to change that. We're going to draw near to you through our prayer life, through our meditation, through our Bible reading, through our worship. Lord, worship is going to, it, it, worship is going to be more than just singing or going to church. It's going to be in-depth relationship with you. And God, then we purpose to guard our associations. We purpose to watch our, our inner circle. And Lord, if there's someone that's pulling us down, we, we go a step forward and go two steps back because of the people we associate with. We laugh at their dirty jokes. We associate with those that we know that's draining us dry spiritually. Help us. And God, if there's one that's trying to control our life, help us to recognize it and refuse to allow anyone to control us. We believe that today. In Jesus' name.